0: Alright, welcome
1: to the Judicially Noticed, Episode 7. This is where we get legally fast and furious in this episode. We're still working on our YouTube series that's Judicial Reality. That should be coming out soon. The hotline is still open if you guys have any questions or topics we want to cover. Just get a shout out. That number again is 323 744 4299. 9. And uh, also, I just did a guest spot on the Decide to Do It podcast with uh, independent film producer Jerry White. That podcast is available on iTunes. Um, you can also get it through uh, Jerry White's uh, Facebook page and through Rebel Media. My episode will likely air Friday, October 5th, so be sure to check that out. Robert also worked on a project. You want to talk about that for a quick sec?
2: Oh, sure. Uh, I. Uh... Did a little comedy sketch about a uh, lawyer giving advice to a guy trying to film something in Rhode Island without a permit. Uh, <laughs> so that should be coming out. It'll be funny. But uh, and then my, you want to give the link to your YouTube. Page. Yeah, my, my YouTube channel is YouTube.com/slash Robert raffi, Just my name. Uh, R A F I I is the last name. YouTube.com/slash Robert raffi.
1: And then uh, you guys can follow me on Instagram, that's Alexakis underscore ESQ on Instagram. uh, Be sure to also rate our podcast. It's on Android, Spotify, SoundCloud, and the Apple Podcast app. And so uh, without further ado, we have our guest today. We're psyched to have this guy. He's a real-life Fast and Furious guy think he was even personal friends with Paul Walker. We'll get into that. So uh, this is Ryan Fisher, attorney at law, and uh, you can follow him at Fishy Pants on Instagram. And then uh, he is a boss corporate attorney. He is the president of Ryan J. Fisher, a professional corporation. He specializes in corporate law and startup formation contracts. He's also a partner
0: with Shift Sector. So uh, yeah, Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, So Obviously, my name's Ryan Fisher. Um, met you guys in law school, Southwestern, and uh, yeah, I um, I kind of grew up, you know, just as a car guy and being obsessed with cars my whole life. Um, and luckily, that obsessed that obsession took hold of me so much that you know it took up all my time. And during law school is when I started Chip Sector um, as a fun thing on the side that turned business, and because of that, it allowed me to set up my own practice and be able to manage all of it together. Um, and fast forward, you know, five years. Uh, well, five years from law school, but I guess almost seven, almost eight years with Shift Sector. Um, still doing both. So, you know, that's that's kind of how I am where I am. And guys, now. that Shift Sector,
1: you you spell it kind of using the LEET alphabet, so the three is the E. Yeah, that was a mistake.
0: Sorry about that. So, well, originally... When we first started it, we were doing three different types of automotive events. So we were doing track days, like running out racetracks, anyone can come out race their car, um, like drag stuff, which is where we got our airstrip and half-mile type of th- events, and then we were also doing drift events. So in the beginning, it was three events, so that's why we wanted to make the logo look cool, so we put a three instead of an E in shift sector. Um, but then it ended up just, we kind of formed this niche in the half-mile drag racing world, and that's all we do now, so, but the three is still there just because that's just how we created it, but it's always funny to explain my email address to people over the phone. Um, like, for, they're like, oh yeah, well, I'll shoot you an email, What's will email, and I'm like, why don't I just send you an email, and you can respond to it, because you're going to get it wrong. Where, where's your uh, where's your track? So, we do events in a couple different states. Um, and Our specialty is renting out airports and doing half-mile drag race events, and the half mile drag race kind of world is pretty new. Um, you know, I like to think that we're pioneers of it. We were one of the first people to set up, you know, official half mile racing event
2: at airports.
0: At, at airports. So that that's what the airstrip attack. Exactly that. That's what is we it? coined oh, it. Okay. Um, so we do events in California, Colorado, and Indiana. Uh, we did events in Oregon for two years, and then. We've been battling with the FAA ever since uh, to go back.
2: And you find private airports that are so. To so
0: our airports are they are actually all public use, city-owned, uh, faa government airports. So
2: and you're able to rent out or lease out
0: exactly. So directly
2: from the government
0: from the cities, yeah, from the municipalities. Oh, that's so generally, the and that's the hardest part because if with the airport side of it, private and uh, private airports are generally pretty small. And they're generally not long enough to do what we need to do. And it would actually make our life a lot easier if we could just run out private airports because they're not subject to FAA scrutiny and rate in certain regulations. But all the city and the larger style airports um, that we need to do what we do, if they take any, if they take a dollar from the government, if they take any FAA funding, grant, grant money then they're subject to, to FAA rules, and the FAA gets to say whatever goes on there. So because of that...
2: You have to deal with the FAA.
0: We do, yeah. It's okay. a lot of compliance and submissions and filings, and mm. yeah, it's its own kind of monster. Yeah.
1: Wow. Well, I mean, kudos to you. That's pretty ballsy to start a company during your first year of law school.
0: Yeah, it was a pretty terrible idea. Uh, it just kind of worked itself out. But yeah, because we, we, I started because me and my, my partner Jason, who I've known for 10, 12 years... We met street racing uh, when I was, like, 17, and he, he, he's, he's, like, 10 years older than me, but um, we, yeah, when I was younger, I had pretty fast cars, and I just dumped all my money into cars growing up, and so in high school, I had a Corvette that I supercharged, blew the motor, built the motor, you know, so I, in high school, I had, like, a 750-horsepower Corvette, which was, at the time, you know, very fast. Mm-hmm. Now, it's very slow in the world I'm in, um, but at the time it was really fast, so I didn't really have any competition per se on just, you know, pulling up next to people at a stoplight and things like that. Mm-hmm. Most of in my school, anyone who had fast cars were, you know, like Subarus and Evos and things like that. It wasn't anything crazy, and, uh, and so because of that, I started making friends with some of these older guys that had crazier cars, and I met this group of guys that would meet up Saturday morning in Irvine at, like, 4 a.m., and it was right when they opened a lot of the toll roads there and not a lot of people were on them. Mm-hmm. And so we would meet up at 4 a.m., and it was actually organized by this guy named uh, Robert Robert P., because uh, no one can pronounce his last name. And uh, mm-hmm. he, invi- he he kind of organized it, and we would go out, meet up, and I remember the first time I showed up, because, you know, I thought I had a pretty fast car, <laughs> and... Uh, you show up in the you morning... a
2: Corvette with a 750 horsepower?
0: So, yeah, it was a 2001 Corvette Z06. Um, and then I got an aftermarket supercharger, supercharged it. And then, because I was running too much power on the stock motor... It blew up? It blew up. And then I <laughs> built the motor so it could take even more power. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so we, I showed up this one morning. They invited me out. I showed up. Mm-hmm. And I show up, and Robert hands me a list of who I'm racing and when I'm racing them and whatever. And, and they had people spotting from the front and behind. Everyone had radios. Like, it was it was a very, you know, legit thing. I thought we were just meeting up and going to blast around and, and do that. But mm-hmm. it was actually organized. And, uh, and so we would go out, and you'd go out in pairs, and you'd all have radios. And so you'd know this pair would go. And once you pass this marker, then the next pair would go. And we'd do that, and we'd get off on a certain exit, come back, do it the same way. We'd do it a couple times, and then we'd leave. And then yeah. that was it. And, right.
1: uh... Did they post your times? Or? So it was
0: just it, it was just video. It was just for video in comparison because you know everyone on the internet is a keyboard warrior and oh my car's faster than yours or this car's faster than that. Keyboard warrior, I love
2: it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a, a, someone sitting behind a keyboard bragging about their rig.
0: Yeah. So
1: uh, <laughs> so I so like, learn all this stuff. First? Like, Cause I, like when was it? Like this must have been in the early 2000s. Yeah.
0: This was this was probably I think I was, right. Well, I think I was a senior in high school. So, yeah, 06, 07, um, and I've just always been obsessed with cars and known cars, and, you know, in my spare time, I would just be reading up and reading up and reading up, you know, and t- seeing what people talk about, and, you know, and so, but yeah, so then I, I met these guys, like, street racing, and uh, and me and one of the guys, my partner Jason, we were looking at it, and we said, you know, there's an opportunity here. We have guys with, you know, really fast cars, with money, that want to race, obviously, and we're getting away with, you know, doing it illegally. But at some point, I'm going to get a ticket or arrested or get an accident. You know, it's just not the right way to go about it. And so we just said, well, where could we do an event? You know, what could we do? And that just snowballed into airports and building mm. it up. But it all really started from street racing and trying to find a legitimate way and a safe way to do it. And just to compare crazy cars next to each other.
2: What you is know? your preferred car for regular road racing and then just... Uh uh, what you like to ride around
0: in when you're? Um, so it, it depends. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm a believer that every car should serve a purpose. Um, right, exactly. Like I don't. Like for me, like I don't need to own like 30 cars. I don't need like some crazy car collection in my life. But if I have like four or five cars that all serve their own purpose, yeah, I'm good with that. You know, yeah. and you know, you see guys who buy. You know, a Lambo next, like, you know, by a Ferrari 458. And then, uh, you know, a Lamborghini Huracan. And then a McLaren 12C. And they're all, like, the same class of car. They all do the same thing. They're all about the same speed. Right. So I'm just like, okay, well, you're just, like, in that situation, you're just trying to show off that you have these. You're but I'm like, you're actually, an idiot. You bought three of the same car.
2: You'd rather have four or five in different classes. Completely. So, so what are your uh, top picks? So
0: I, I, so I think... Um, I don't know, for me, you know, I think everyone should have a a, a, a daily driver car, right? Something that's right. comfortable right. you can get around and that's not gonna be a pain. In Los uh, Angeles. In, in Los Angeles. Angeles. So I think <laughs> I think you know, I think a, a nice sport sedan like an M five or okay. you know, E sixty three AMG or you know, Audi RS seven, the high performance okay. sedan from The R
2: seven is my favorite.
0: There they're the sick cars and they're actually very underrated. We've yeah. had we've had some come out to our events. And like some modified ones, and you see them ripping off Lamborghini Mm. Huracan stuff, and everyone's like, what the hell? You know? (laughs) Because people honestly don't know that they're as fast as they are.
2: Correction, R8. The R8 is my favorite. Okay, well, R8s
0: are beautiful cars too. Um, But yeah, so I think. You should have a nice daily driver like yeah. that, sports sedan. Um, you should have, you know, probably like a weekend exotic, like, you know, okay. a Ferrari 488 or a McLaren or a Lamborghini, something like that that you just <coughs> want to go off. You're not going to mess yeah. with just, you know, a fancy car to show off and cruise to Malibu and whatever.
2: Okay. So that's your daily driver?
0: <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, or you could have, I, I would have the BMW as the daily driver okay. and like the exotic as the weekend car. Okay,
2: Okay.
0: And then you'd have some actual kind of more dedicated, the higher horsepower cars, you know, I'd have... A track car to go to the to the like the racetrack with, which what's me, your track car, would be a Viper ACR. Okay. Um, you know, I had a Viper TA, which was the same generation of Viper.
2: That's an American car. Correct. Yeah, right.
0: and uh, the Vi- the Viper TA actually I had was they only made ninety three of them, um, and it was the intermediary to the ACR because the ACR wasn't out yet. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, so the Gen five, the the newest Viper but they actually don't they're not making Vipers anymore. But the newest Viper, when it first came out, the whole goal was it was to break all these Corvette records. And mm-hmm. then it came out and it didn't. And so what they did, they knew the ACR wasn't going to come out for a couple of years, so they said, well, what can we put together really quickly that's enough to, to break the records? So they made this specialty edition Viper TA, which is for Time Attack, mm-hmm. and they just... Did a little better suspension, a little better brakes. They took off all the emblems and put stickers to save weight. Like oh, wow. little and then things then down like that. To a quarter
2: of a pound.
0: Right. And so they did that and then it broke off then it then it broke the okay. records. And then the ACR came out and that was another another level. So mm. anyway, so track car, I just think the ACR is is, is a really insane track car. Um, a pain in the ass to drive around on the street. Like you wouldn't want to take that to the grocery store, but you'd want to go out to the racetrack with it. Um, and then you want to, like a high horsepower straight line car, which for me, my my ultimate car goal and dream is the 5064 Ford GT. That I just think is one of the most iconic cars.
2: You um, just love American
0: cars. I am an American muscle guy. I had an American I uh, car in high
2: school, and then yeah. yeah so I think I think That's you weird. have that. You um, drive
0: a Porsche now. Yeah. You have, so you have the Yoda green. Yeah. So it's pretty funny because I've always been a big American muscle guy. I literally had. Two Corvettes, um, a Viper. Uh, I mean, I have a Ford Raptor on my truck, but uh, and I've got a couple stuff in between. But I think what I've what I've learned to appreciate about the Porsche stuff is they're they're just all around so versatile. Like you you can drive it to the racetrack or go to the grocery store or do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's comfortable, and it's mellow, and it's not a pain.
2: You know? I have a question. I always hear the term American muscle. Mm-hmm. And I hear about muscle cars, and I play racing video games. But I don't think I ever really understood or appreciated what it means for a car to be a muscle car.
0: Yeah, well, the, I mean, the muscle car era basically started in the 60s. Okay. So it was about throwing big motors in these normally, you know, right. daily boring cars. Like and a motor
2: that you'd otherwise have in a big truck.
0: Exactly. So, you know, it was pretty much, I would say, early to mid-60s when the, the Mustang came out, Mustang came out in 64, um, and then, then the generation of Chevelles and Camaros and things like but that. Is But
2: Muscle implying that it, it can... Carry a heavy load, or or just it's got good acceleration. What? what Yeah, it's just. I
0: mean, I think American Muscle is just a powerful American car. That's that's kind of what it signifies. Okay. Um, And yeah, I think it's about having a V8 or you know and I mean like the Viper has a V10 for, for example
2: a Lamborghini is is not is that a muscle car that that is not No a like, car. Like, like anything so. like that
0: would, I consider an exotic like anything right. Italian sports car Right
2: so so um, what what aspect of that engine gives it the muscle that for example a Lamborghini it, would be missing
0: Yeah I think I think I think it's almost the personality of like America has like the American sports cars have been this, you know. No,
2: I get the. I understand you know. the personality, uh, but practically speaking, is there actually actually a physical difference in the way the car feels when it's moving? Or
0: um, I mean, between American cars and European cars, yes. As far as like an American muscle car versus like a regular American car, a
2: non-muscle car. Yeah.
0: I mean, I. I mean, I, it, it's 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 kind of relative. It's okay. kind of you know your own perception of it, but. American Muscle generally means big power American car. That's that's okay, all. It means. Okay. It's and more of a
2: symbolic word. Exactly I think, when you're exactly. comparing uh, one sports car to another. Exactly. Okay. 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 Uh, James, you want to bring us back? I was kind of digressing from our outline yeah. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: it's, it's it's a good tangent, and that happens all the time. But uh, yeah, so
0: how do you end up in law school? Um, so I, I I did my undergrad at UC Santa Barbara, and when I started UC Santa Barbara, I had no idea what I wanted to do or anything, and I actually originally started as a business econ major, but I realized quickly that at UC Santa Barbara specifically, they only had business econ, they didn't have business administration, and I realized it was mostly econ. It was almost mm-hmm. entirely econ classes, which I didn't really want to do. I wasn't trying to be a CPA or you know anything right. specifically accounting, and I actually really wanted to learn more about business, but. At UC Santa Barbara, there wasn't a whole lot of business-specific stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So then I said, well, I'm going to get this degree in economics, and I, you know, I, I want to learn something about economics, but I want to spend my four years learning about it. And so I said, what other major could I take that I could get a variety of classes and still learn business and other things? So I ended up being a sociology major, because they had classes in business and history and society and learning about people and businesses and civilizations and how things became how they became and how they evolved and progress. So mm-hmm. so anyway, so that's kinda of then through law school then I was in undergrad and about halfway through undergrad is when I started thinking about what was my next thing and I don't know, I, I've always been interested in the law and I think through my car stuff and my car shenanigans I've I learned to talk my way out of a lot of legal situations with speeding and street racing and things like that. But I kinda of had a knack and interest in the law always mm-hmm. and just using that knowledge kind of for other things and so I don't know. For me, the more I just thought about it, I said, you know, I'd, I'd really like to be an attorney, but I don't need to be an attorney. So for me, I was, I was more thinking, you know, I, like becoming an attorney would be a great tool for me in whatever I did, and I don't need to decide what that is right now. But at least I can learn the knowledge, practice as an attorney, and see what that turns into. Mainly just for the, the background and experience. Um, and then I, and then I started kind of talking to other attorneys I had in the family. Um, and you know, who are all doing different things, and you know that's just kind of how I, I started it, and I, I took the LSAT, and I basically told myself if I got a certain score or higher, that I would keep on with it, and uh, I think it was like got one fifty six or one fifty seven, something like that. I was like, if I get that, like I'm good, yeah, I'm gonna keep going, yeah, yeah. and that and that is the exact score I got, and right. I was like, all right, well I'm gonna keep <laughs> yeah, going, right, right. so made right, the bet, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and so I, I just went through with it and and planned it so that. I tended to my LSAT at my junior year of, high of, of undergrad so that I could go straight in. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to take a year off or do anything. I'd rather just get in, get it done while I'm still in school mode and, and things like that. Um, and yeah, and so that's just kind of what got me to law school, you know, knowing that I might not be an attorney my whole life, but at least I could use it, you know, for knowledge and experience and to have a new kind of perspective on a lot of things in life.
2: And so. you found it to be relevant
0: to your car racing business and- well, I, I, I always wanted the dream was to be able to find a way to combine them, um, and I didn't know how that would look or if that would be possible, you know, or if I just become an attorney and I just hopefully could be successful enough that it pays for my car hobbies and stuff like that. And I actually during law school tried to network and make connections with some automotive kind of attorneys. Um, like there was there was one attorney that that was kind of mentoring me a little bit. He was giving me advice on stuff and. He represented a lot of automakers and, like, a big firm and things like that. So I mm. talked with him about things like that. Right. Um, but I really didn't know how they would combine or anything. So, um, and then, yeah, and then sh- the shift sector thing came about just because during my first semester of law school, you know, we were studying 24-7. And the little time I wasn't studying, you know, I used to be looking at car shit anyways, right? I mean, you know, looking at things for sale, reading up on forums, looking at racing videos, whatever. So... When when me and my my partner ended up starting the business around it, it really just was let's do something fun on the side and maybe we can make a couple bucks doing it, or at least you know we'll cover our costs and it'll be a fun thing. And so I just said, okay, well if I'm going to devote time to car stuff anyways, I might as well try to devote it to something that might make me some money, you know. And mm-hmm. so all the like aimless scrolling I would do on like car forms and things like that, I just focused that on chip sector and building, you know, this little brand and hosting events and seeing what happens and it, it was just a fun thing on the first event was just like a fun thing let's just see what happens it wasn't i don't even we didn't have a formal entity yet or anything we just kind of had a name and we'll just call it this and see what happens I, I
2: see you're wearing a shift sector shirt yeah what's that in the middle between the words shift and sector so
0: like the dash we use for the shift sector is actually a gearbox Oh so, okay okay so oh,
2: gearbox yeah. Yeah. yeah I see that so, okay, um, okay. well we'll have a we'll have a picture yeah <laughs> for the viewers yeah. to see we'll, we'll take a picture at the end but yeah uh, that that's yeah. very cool so yeah
0: and then now you're practicing corporate law yeah so would have kind of the reason I, I went off on my own tree out of law school uh, was almost out of necessity because. Throughout, you know, and throughout law school, I was on the side you know managing this small little racing thing. and I was leaning on all of our professors to help me with like waivers and contracts and you know stuff that I didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the end of law school we were doing events in three different states, and I was saying, okay, well, you know I don't want to give this up because it's paying my bills right now mm-hmm. and I love to do it and it's probably not going to last forever. And I don't want to just end it prematurely to go work 80 hours a week in the basement of some law firm mm. and be miserable, you know. Mm. So I was saying – I took the bar, past the bar, and I said, okay, now how, how do I keep both? How do I practice law and run shift sector for as little or as long as it will last? And so I was trying to find a part-time job in a firm. I was like, I'll get us like try to find a small firm part-time so I can still get experience and not have to give it up, you know, right. the racing stuff from a time commitment standpoint. And while I was interviewing and doing things like that, people in my racing world found out I was an attorney now. And they said, wait, you're an attorney? Can you do this? Can you do that? I need help with this. I need help with that. So
2: you found a lot of your fellow racers coming to you for legal advice.
0: Exactly. And right. and so, and most of which I didn't know how to do. And I just said, sure. And I just took on the business. And I would partner with other attorneys and ask for help. And right. you know, there were a lot of situations where I said, I don't know... How to do
2: this, you're raising a very good point because they don't teach shit in law school about what you actually need to know how to do, right? that's uh, kind of
1: a running theme,
2: yeah. Forget no, for, for, for
0: going to court, even stuff that doesn't involve going to court. Well, I feel I, I agree, and I, I feel like people always ask me, you know, did the law school prepare you for practicing, and like I said, "I think I feel law school teaches you how to pass the bar."
2: It doesn't even do that. It teaches you how to <laughs> structure an answer to a bar question, but really, without doing bar prep, to learn how to actually answer the bar questions. And it uh, does. It really
1: law school does kind of teach you some problem solving skills
2: in a very abstract way, yeah, and yeah. not abstract. in a practical way. And the bar, which yes, law school is supposed to prepare you for, the bar does not prepare you for.
1: Yeah, no, I'll most just, of that from Barbary or other companies.
2: So, y- you yeah. really find yourself having to learn from scratch as if you were a non-attorney.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, I mean, I'll tell you, like, 98% of the stuff I do on a daily basis, if not more, I learned doing right. it on my own. Right. I, I learned the concepts behind it, but not the practical actual day-to-day use, like, when I set up my corporation, right. I used LegalZoom. I didn't know how to set up a corporation, right. and I took all these business, right. you know, like, affairs it, things. We had an entire
2: <laughs> semester's worth of business associations, it
0: was called. I, I took yeah. that, exactly. and, and all we yeah.
2: discussed in that class was conflicts of interest and uh, a breach of duties of loyalty and care, going to screwing over shareholders, things that are borderline, I'd say, securities law, if anything else. No, I agree. And nothing about the actual uh, setting up of a corporation, corporate governance, things that you have to be able to advise clients on. Right. Uh, And it's maddening to me. It's maddening to me because they antagonize you. To prepare you for the bar exam and, and you sit through hours and hours of testing and, and grilling by professors. Uh, we were gonna talk about the Socratic method, I think James wants to ask you about that. And then you do all that and you come out and can't even set up a corp you have to use LegalZoom, as right. you said. And, and that is very true. That is very true. Had I also needed to set up a company out of law school, I would have probably have had to have resorted to LegalZoom.
0: And then and then right. I Saw how LegalZoom did it. Right. And then I, oh, and I then know, I know the, how to drafts, do it. You know? so then you had their uh, right. templates. But well, what's crazy right. is, like, I mean, I could, in, in 10 minutes or less, I could teach you how to set right. up a So if it's, it's, it's not hard if
2: if in law school they could do that, right. they could spend yeah. half a class.
0: <laughs> that's what I mean, you know? And they didn't. Yeah. And, and that's, they didn't. And there's some very basic things that I've just learned because, you know, one of the things that I've learned is, is useful for me with. The corporate formation stuff and things like that. Is I I work with a lot of accountants and CPAs, yes. and, and so right. you know, in the beginning when I was starting out, I, I went to a couple accountants and CPAs and I said, when someone come when you advise a client to set up a corporation or an S corp or an LLC or whatever, right. um, how do you do that? Do you guys do it in house? Do you tell them to go to an attorney? Do they just do it on LegalZoom? And the what I got from the most part was. We just tell them to go do it on legal Zoom because they don't want to pay for an attorney, right? And oftentimes they screw it up, and then we're stuck having to fix it all and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, about the litigation costs, yeah. And so I, so I, I proposed. I said, "What if I? What if you referred them to me and I did it for legal zoom pricing? But I just did it, you right. know, to at least because for me." You know, I don't make much on it, but at least I get them in the door as a client. Right. I make sure they're taken care of. And in the you future, know? they'll
2: come back exactly for contracts and for exactly business and matters.
0: Exactly, right. and that's that's actually been a staple of my practice since I started. Mm-hmm. Is just you know easy ending formation stuff because because it, it's not that difficult, but it requires some guidance and some advising. And you know, a lot of people don't know certain tax rules and things with self employment taxes that you know, might be more advantage in one type of entity versus another. Right. And like, you know, I always say, listen, I'm not a CPA. Your own, your your CPA is going to know your individual tax situation the best. Right. So, you know, that's why I like when the CPAs say, you know, I get an email and they say, hey, Ryan, this is so-and-so. They need an S-Corp. Right. Um, take it away. Right. You know, and then so I know it's coming straight from the CPA and I just go and do it and mm-hmm. it's done the right way and mm-hmm. it's how it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, because I see a lot of people that just – Instantly, just go set up an LLC, set up an LLC, set up an LLC, and sometimes that's not the most advantageous thing to do. You know, no, right? and also
1: you can get taxed because I got a, I have a friend who got double taxed because of right. it, because nope. of when they filed their LLC, because really? the timing. Yeah, because they did it before April fifteenth. Yeah. So you get taxed there, and then after April fifteenth, you get taxed
0: again. Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, especially if you say you start a business in December right, and you file in December, you're paying that $800 franchise tax board for that year, and then as soon as you get in the next year, you're going to do the next year. So, from as well month, wait until January.
2: Exactly. Right. You
0: know, like little sure. things like that, that it's just, okay, well, just wait a month, mm-hmm. you know, or just get everything ready, and then after the first you file it, you know, yeah. there's just certain things that, you know, that could save you $800, bucks, you know. Uh, the first deserve. year is
2: not free. I heard no. something about the first no, year. No, no. Yeah.
0: Every, every year you do business as an entity in California. California, yeah, you, you got to pay 800 the, bucks.
2: Yeah. Even the first year. Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, if, but if, for example, you set up the entity and you don't transact any business, then you can basically have, file an exemption and just say, hey, we actually didn't operate. you still got to pay your
2: $800. Maybe just not in the first year.
0: So, yes. Yeah, so I remember when I, during orientation or one of the first weeks of law school, I remember one of the one of the deans or whatever said came in and said you know look to
2: your left and right one of you will be gone or both of them will be gone
0: well the, well I mean, there was, there was that but it was it was more of you know if you're not here to be an attorney and practice as an attorney you shouldn't be here and I and I, I understand why they said that but like I knew for me I'm like I get what you're saying but like I I that's not me. Like that, that doesn't Many work for me. people,
2: many people become attorneys and don't practice. Right, exactly. There's so
1: many women that we went to law school with that they were there like their husbands had like successful fashion businesses or something like that. One girl had like her husband did all of that uh he did uh gear for MMA fighters. And so she was just like there to, you know, help run her husband's business. Yeah, yeah. And so really sure wasn't necessarily to, like, you know, pass the bar and, like, go up in front of a judge. Right. And it's like, your honor, this, exactly. is, this is my case. Yes.
0: No, and then so that's how, like, I felt, like, I get what they're saying because, you know, you have to go through so much shit and you're so inundated with law and reading. And you're going to read right. all this historical stuff that is honestly probably going to be pretty boring and dreary. And, and irrelevant you, to today. For and the irrelevant. Of, except but, for constitutional law. Yeah, All right. Because it hasn't changed. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but no, but, like, if... You know, I get that because if you're not, if you don't have a very clear, like, end goal of using it, don't waste your time. You That's know, right. like, you're going to hate your, hate your life sitting there reading all this stuff if you don't have, like, a, an end goal. You know, right. that you know? and so I get that, but for me, I, I was like, you know, I could be an attorney in practice, but I don't have to. I, you know, I can do other stuff, too. I'm just using this whole experience as a tool for that. That's right. And, uh, it's, and, and like, I remember first semester, first year... We had people that were, like, top of the class, you know, leaving. They're like, I'm good at it, but I can't stand it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it makes sense. Like, even if you're good at something, if you hate doing it and it's, you know, taking years off your life, you know, to sit there and, like, drudge through it, And I, I get it. It's not worth it. Don't do it, yeah. It's not
1: worth it. Yeah, a very smart guy in my laws class, he left to be a beer brewer. You never know.
0: You never know. So... (laughs) But actually I know I knew, I know a girl that uh, didn't go to law school with us. It was it was just another girl I know. And uh she I think she was a second year at Chapman Law. Well, um and feel like two years dropped out and I'm like, you're already like at yeah. this point yeah, you're know, already, already sorry. Years. Years. Yeah. You know, like, Last year's uh, the Exactly, exactly. And but she was like, No, I don't you know, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm like, Oh my oh. god. You know, that's you <laughs> That's your deal, but, yeah. like, you've already paid, you know, yeah, like, this investment. far, this month. This month Yeah, but everyone's got their uh, own deal. Yeah, know, I guess so. so. That's cool. So, do you have any uh, plugs you want to do? Plugs? I mean, not really. I mean, Shift Sector is obviously my brand. It's easy to find. Google around. Um, and myself mm. as an attorney. Spell page. that for our viewers, just in case. It's S-H-I-F-T dash S-3-C-T-O-R. That's what it is. Shift Sector. Shift Sector but the ease a three.
1: Sorry. You should definitely follow you should definitely follow Ryan on Instagram. He's got really cool pics if you're into cars like that's the one to follow. I look at like everything he posts. Even when he's like selling his Dodge Viper, I like almost cried. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, that is a really sad moment if I was selling that car. Why did you I sell your Dodge Viper?"
0: Uh, I bought a house. Uh, All right. That Good whole, for you, man. Like, so, whole that whole adulting thing. Um, <laughs> well, it was funny because I I had the Viper and I I had a big loan on it and I was looking to buy a, a place and I was looking for like a year year and a half before I finally found a place mm-hmm. and about a year into it, I was so frustrated because either everything was so overpriced and I, ha- I so I had some money saved up for the down payment, mm-hmm. It was just sitting there and I was like, okay ready to put it down on something, and then, you know, I would either get outbid on these places, because the market was so crazy, or there's nothing there, and so I end up buying my 993 Porsche that I had, out of frustration, because I was like, I have this money sitting there, and I want to use it, because I'm over the real estate market, and yeah. uh, and I've always wanted a 993, Is the last generation of the air-cooled Porsches, um, and they've gone up in value like crazy. And so I was like, if I can find one at a good enough price, I know I could drive it around. And if I still found a house, I could just sell it and get there my money go. back and do it. And then, so I, I bought the car and then I found a place and then I'm looking at my finances and everything. I'm like, it actually makes more sense for me to sell the Viper because I have a loan on it. It's on my credit. It's a payment. You know, I could sell it, free up the equity I have in it, add that, you know, just use that as more of my down payment and if I need to sell the Porsche later, I can just sell it. But did, sitting you, there,
2: did you uh, sell the Viper for... Uh, did, I, I, I hope you didn't lose money on it, is what I meant. No,
0: I mean, I... I, I so I, I had that car for two years. Um, I, it was in 2014, and they didn't make that many of them, so they, they held their value pretty right. well. Well,
2: that's the great thing yeah. about what you're... It's a niche area where generally cars lose their value yeah. when we're talking about a regular old car, but... With the right car, I, I know that there's Ferrari. The, the Enzo, for example, the oh, yeah. Enzo, when it was produced, uh, to now,
0: it, it's worth about ten times more. Almost, yeah, uh, and, it's, and it's crazy. Is you know, it's just it. The, the truth is, is it's certain niche cars and certain markets. You just know the value is the value, but it doesn't always work that way. Like right. certain, car, generally speaking, if it's a limited run, limited production. They're not going to make it anymore. You then know, you
2: have a better chance. A better
0: chance, but even then, that doesn't guarantee anything. It there's doesn't. A, there's a lot of limited production cars right. that still just depreciate. So, you, like, I, we, I've actually had before I got into the investment advising stuff before I was an attorney, because my dad's a financial advisor, and he was, um, he had clients ask ask him about purchasing certain cars as investment, right. and and he would ask me. He's like, I don't know. Ask my son because he knows. I don't know. And so I I talked to a lot of his clients about automotive purchases, and most of them, you know, I told them, you know, I'm like, listen, like, if you want to buy it to to drive around and have fun, it's one thing, but if you're just going to buy it, park it, and you're going to hope it's going to appreciate more than, you know, an investment in the stock market or real estate or things like that, you know, it's it's hard. It's really hard, and it really has to be a specialty car, and even then it doesn't guarantee things. So. You know, it's just knowing, knowing the market. It's knowing what's out there and things like that. But still, nothing's a guarantee. So
2: even the Bugatti Chiron.
0: I mean, three you know, it's three million dollar car. It's insane. <laughs> but get you know, like just like the the Varen. you can sleep in a Bugatti Chiron. Instead right. Of a you can million. sleep in a car, but you can't drive a house, yeah. right? That's what I said. <laughs> uh, but uh, but no, I mean, like like the Bugatti Veyron that came out. You know. You can get those a lot less. I mean, they still depreciated. Not and they
2: look just like the Chiron. I mean, I, I, I cannot, as a layperson, yeah. tell the difference if I saw a Chiron. Yeah, and I mean, it's,
0: it's more of an exclusivity thing. It's not right. as an investment thing. Right. I mean, you, know, you just kind of look at the history of certain cars, and, you know, unless there's a specialty reason or it's going away or they're not making them ever again. Right. Well, know. if you can track
2: all the owners... You know, when you have a limited uh, number made, you yeah. just take a hammer and go around the world. Right, it's true. And you can you can actually make yours worth. The you,
0: worth. No, and, and there are people like I've known and I've seen <laughs> that have cornered the market. Does that happen? Will people well, people not that bad, not like that? But but people can actively sabotage. I mean, you could, but now, but but I do know people that have cornered the market with certain things. Like they'll just buy every one that was made. Like there might be only a handful of certain cars made, so they'll try to find as many as they can and right. hold on to them. You know, because now you're controlling the market more than other people that are just out there. And if one person has to just, is desperate and has to sell it, well, now that sets a a comp for that car. And I go, shit, that guy had to let it go so cheap. Now people are going to expect that. There are
2: garages where, you know, someone had a particular brand of a Ferrari that that they just knew wanted to corner. So So they'll have a garage of like 10 of the same. Yeah
0: there were there people they people do that yeah there was a one of the like dubai princes or sheiks um, the uh, the especially Aston Martin came out it was called the 17s i think it's called the Aston Martin it was the 177 seven, came out in uh late 2000s um, and they only made I think a couple hundred of them and he bought a 100 he, he bought all of them bought the whole production line. he bought a hundred, he bought yeah. the
2: whole production line
0: yeah and uh, and then i think since then, he sold them because now, like some of them are out there. Okay, but he literally just bought the entire production line. Of
2: them. And they're probably just sitting in a garage somewhere, oh, rusting away. Yeah. Uh, it's almost wasteful. It is, but you do it because
0: um, you can, right? I mean,
2: it's, you do it because you can. I suppose, I, I, perhaps there's an argument to be made that there's a sound business reason if you can actually sell it for. Well, I mean, true. If you can sell it for more, if you've cornered the market, right?
0: But at um, that at that point, you know, because. You know, we've we've dealt because we've dealt with you know uh, sheiks and princes and things in the Middle East that mm. are you know participants or somehow involved in. Do all you that. race in Dubai? No, no. But we've had like pr- like uh, like certain princes of Queen and things like that. Mm. You know, either have cars like world record cars built and they're funding it and they're branding it. Yes. And someone else drives it. They never see the car, but they want to be associated with it. Oh, I or see. we've had guys like like one of uh, I think he was one of the princes of Yemen or something, or or one the, or he was a sheikh. I don't know. Anyways, he um, he came out. He came out to one of our events with his nine eighteen. His Porsche nine eighteen. He wanted to drive it. Came out and drove it. and um, went back. <laughs> that was it. So, um, but you know, at that point, you know, a lot of a lot of those guys, they're you know job is to not embarrass their family that's it so it's to keep yourself busy and not you had one
2: job right
0: yeah so if buying an entire production line of aston martin's is what you want to do to keep you busy okay no problem just don't embarrass the family right it's crazy and especially uh... if you're not like in direct line for royalty yeah then you're just like kind of a side you know, you're like just don't embarrass family. That's it. I mean,
2: I, I think Bin Laden takes the cake. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the Bin Laden group is a a very successful real estate development company uh, in the Middle East, and they're active in Dubai. They build a lot of buildings in Dubai, um, and at least in the Western world, the name has been tarnished. But they're a multi-billion-dollar real estate development firm and yeah. if you go if you go to Dubai or Qatar you'll see you'll see their equipment and their buildings um, and, and he had one job and that was to not embarrass that name yeah but when you hear the name you, the last thing you think of is real estate right no exactly
0: it's crazy Yeah.
2: Also runs a pretty accomplished
1: uh, writer. He wrote like several articles. You can Google those; they're pretty interesting. About it's cars like, or know, just? Kind of, the advantage of corporations. I don't know if I would
0: call myself a writer in any in any sense of the word, but I appreciate I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, throw, you're it's pretty th- well known. You've like published a couple articles. Yeah, I mean, like I've I've written a couple things. Um, you know, through the automotive world, we've gotten to do some cool things. Like we were, you know, I was on Jay Leno's Garage. They came out and filmed filmed an episode of one of our events. Did you meet Jay Leno? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um,
2: He has a classic car collection, correct? He has has everything. He has everything? Yeah,
0: classics, exotics, um, everything. Have
2: you heard of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee? Yeah, Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, Yeah, I actually
0: just started watching that show. That is
2: a show that I enjoy.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty cool because it's, it's, the cars are a part of it, but it's yeah. really just talking to the comedians and, you right. know. And but I, he
2: goes into depth definitely. about some of these cars in the beginning. And Jer-
0: Jerry Seinfeld is a is a very well-known Porsche guy. He has oh, a crazy it? Porsche collection. Yeah. Um, some of the most, like, exclusive Porsches. And if you go back and watch, like, episodes of Seinfeld, there's Porsche posters in his, ha- in his oh, in the house. apartment and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, he's a big Porsche guy. Everyone knows that, yeah. Sometimes you'll—I've seen him before at in Malibu. He'll go to like the Malibu Country Mart and something, oh, yeah. come out with like different Porsches and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I haven't met him, but I've heard he's—he's he's a, he's a pretty cool guy. Right. So. Did you meet Paul Walker? I did. Um, he so his shop um, always evolving, or it was also called a Performance, um, that he used to pretty much kind of house his his cars and had a shop that worked on the cars, and they would also. Buy and sell, um, Mm -hmm. like high end and specialty collectible cars. Um, So they had like a performance side of it, and when back and actually when we were doing both, they actually came out. Paul didn't come out, but the shop came out to one of our our first ever airship events, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, and so they came out, and we kind of built a relationship with them, and. The heat. I met Paul uh, a couple times. He came out to one of our when we used to do track days and run out racetracks. Mm-hmm. He would, he came out to it. They had these like factory Mustang race cars that they they had, and so he was driving those. And he's actually he was a big Porsche guy too. Um, and uh, but yeah, super nice guy, super cool. Um, oh, nice. I feel like I don't really get like starstruck over people. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like in the I'll, car world, yeah, that's like pretty yeah, top. Yeah, it's it's pretty hard to beat that. Um, yeah. He like I, he actually like lived that lifestyle. He was totally like, a car guy. Totally. And, mm-hmm. No, I I I drove my Neptune's net today. I was gonna go there and get a tuna sandwich, and I was too busy, so I <laughs> didn't. <laughs> but but no, I mean it's iconic, you know. He's yeah. iconic and everything behind it, and it's it's really spectacular, and it's terrible, you know. But tragedy happens. <laughs> I believe
2: it, you know? he was on his way to or back from a charity. So actually, I, was, I was I was
1: doing a charity event. Yeah, it was at. It was and then at, he went for a joy ride with Rodis. Yeah. And then they they never, unfortunately, sadly never. Yeah. I, I I
0: met Roger a couple times too. Um, I was actually supposed to be there that day at that at that event. Oh really? Yeah. Um, it was a big public like charity thing. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, so that it was, was right around like our three L finals though. Yeah, and, with, yeah, and what's it was yeah. Cra- was, like, a Thanksgiving weekend too. Yeah, yeah. And what's crazy is, both him and like Ro- remember both him and Roger are, like were were very very good drivers, you know, and so the fact that you know like a a, a combination of things had to happen right. for for them to pass away, and you know, like it's one thing to lose control and crash a car, but then you know for it to ignite and then to be trapped in it, and like you know, like there's a lot of things that have Some to happen. Lemon in- elements, perhaps, trying mean, to bring I mean, the law into this. And- well, I, I mean, they, they the family sued Porsche. Um, right. I'm sure that uh, they, they had a lemon law case. I don't think it was a lemon, but you know, uh, no, lemon is
1: only if it's a new car and it breaks down a certain amount of times. So that's yeah. the only time lemon applies. Exactly. Otherwise, it's a regular product okay. liability. Right? Okay.
0: Exactly. So, um, but yeah, but, and you know, like the car they were in, Carrera GT. Um, that car is is worth a crazy amount of money now. Um, not because of that. Um, I'm sure that was probably a small part of it. Yeah, but, it was always a rare car. Yeah, it was always a very, very rare car and specialty mm-hmm. car. And that's like, so it was funny. So, to actually, today I met up uh, with this guy I know, um, and uh, he has a Ford GT, he has a Carrera GT. Um, and we were talking, and like that 03 to 08 kind of year, those years, I think were some of the most iconic years for cars. Because, like, the, the Ford, the comp, that competition of supercar, those were the first supercars pretty much that mm-hmm. came out. So it was a Ford GT, Carrera GT, Ferrari Enzo, SLR McLaren. Those were, those cars were kind of this crazy class of car um, that there's just nothing like anymore. You know, like the next generation of that has been the McLaren P One, the 918, all these hybrids and you know technologically crazy cars. But those I feel like were the last raw analog, you know, really specialty cars that were built.
2: This is the uh, Need for Speed Underground and Underground 2 era. Pretty much, yeah. Those games came out in the mid-2000s. Yes, yeah. yeah. I remember enjoying them. Yeah. You right, racing
1: games are huge. You had Grand Theft Auto, you had Midnight
0: Club came out there. Oh,
2: yeah. Underground was one of my favorites. I those remember that. Yeah. What's
0: funny things is things. I remember playing that, and then actually recently I was like, I saw like a YouTube video of gameplay from that, and like I remember how like great I and thought it was. And like it, right? so it, it looks like crap. So it looks so bad. But it looked amazing for the yeah. time. No, I'm exactly. like, wow, racing on games. the Third Street Promenade. Yeah. Yeah. Same with like, same with like Grand Theft Auto. Like the GTA is like, yeah. like you go back and you look at like Vice City. I remember yeah. like Vice City was like so amazing. crazy. Yeah. You go back and like now you're like that's crap. terrible. No, we but, got yeah. GTA Five,
2: and GTA Five is five years old now, believe it or not. Yeah, well, it's
0: crazy just how much they've added on to it. It's like. Yeah, this yes. is insane. One of my buddies works for Activision and um, does all the Call of Duty games. Mm-hmm. He he they, he he's part of like a they have a, a studio in, in Playa Vista that they do all the motion capture. So uh-huh. They have this big huge sound stage where basically all the guys come in and they put them in suits with the dots on them and yeah. they go and they do everything and they do all that's the cinematics great. and they put that into the game. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's crazy just the technology behind that that's changed in the last ten years. Yes. Yeah. Sh-
1: you think that's probably next for your business? is to, like, do those motion caps. Yeah, or VR, well, VR well,
0: driving? Well, know. that, well, like, VR and AR, like, like you know, the augmented reality where yeah. you still see reality, but, like, things are added to it. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, and just, I think VR is, this is just the next generation of everything. I mean, now with video games and simulators and things like that, you know... You can set up a simulator for a couple grand in your house, yeah, and drive a million dollars. Put on, yeah, put on goggles and drive million dollar cars and whatever, you know, if that that's what you're into, and you know, it's it's pretty awesome, you know, it's it's pretty crazy, sure. So, so cool. I think that's I think that's
1: it. That was a really good podcast. Sure was. So uh, do you have any last thing you want to say? Or? No, I mean thank you guys. I mean you know I yeah, always like to thank you. It's for always awesome being with this guy. Having lunch with this guy in law school is always entertaining. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that's it. This was episode seven of Judicially Notice. We're available on all podcast streaming service. Uh, you know send us some comments, write us some reviews. We'll give you guys a shout out. That's it. We out. Thank you, Ryan. No problem. Thank you, guys.